Amen. So our focus verse has been Psalm 46, verse 1, which is God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's there. He is present with us in time of trouble. So we're going to be looking um, specifically today at 2 Chronicles 32, verses 1 through 8. So we're going to kind of skim through it in storyline, but that's where we'll be at. Um, The last time I was here with you, I had a challenge for you to kind of find some psalms and then where in the psalm the story happened, whether it was through King David or other parts, because remember, we talked about how you can match up the psalm with the story in the Old Testament. So if anybody had any um, success with that, I'd love to hear about it. Um, but it is an interesting study to do in the in that with the Bible. So we're talking about how God is our refuge, and today we're going to specifically talk about how God will help us fight our battles. And you know what? In the story of Hezekiah, God just fought his battles. So... It's, it's a great story. I love it. But we have, um, we're, we're finding ourselves at the beginning of Hezekiah's story. You kind of have to go back to the story of his father, King Ahaz, who is a wicked king of Judah. And so if you do go through this storyline, and we talked about this a little bit recently in one of our lessons, you find where, where there was King Saul course, King Saul was rejected by the Lord, and then you had King David and King David's son Solomon, and each one reigned for 40 years, and so you have this united kingdom of God's people, all of the 12 tribes, um, living, even though there was a lot of war and turmoil, they were a, if you would say, a superpower of the world at the time. They were... um, They were winning the battles. They were on top during this time. And then during King Solomon's time, there's this time of peace. But at the end of King Solomon's life, there becomes a battle for the kingdom Um, between his sons and uh, some of his allies and enemies. There's a battle, and there's a lot of... um, There's just a very intriguing story as to what happens with the kingdoms here, and they're split in two. You have the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, and we're going to focus particularly on the kingdom of Judah. What happens is, for the most part in the kingdom of Israel, there's just a lot of wicked kings, Um, kings that are not serving the Lord, that are setting up idolatry. In the kingdom of Judah, you have your ups and downs. You have kings that please the Lord and kings that are very wicked. So we're going to start with the story of King Ahaz, in 2 Chronicles 28, and this is Hezekiah's father. Now, King Ahaz is a very wicked king in the kingdom of Judah. During his reign, his wickedness, his, had, and had, he had set up, through his wickedness, he had set up idolatry, so people were worshiping false god. And in this, God, because of this, his um, wickedness, and specifically teaching and... Um, training and allowing his people to worship false gods in very gruesome ways. So you're talking about um, the, at this point, the children of Israel were taking part in um, sacrificing their children to false gods. That's how wicked it had become. Um, 
And so this is how Hezekiah is raised in this wicked kingdom with this wicked father. And because of this, um, God hands Ahaz over to his enemies. And Ahaz, in knowing that he's going to be defeated by the Assyrians who are in charge of the world at the time, knowing he's going to be defeated, he makes a deal with the Assyrians. And he, what he becomes is a vassal. And that means that he would have to pay a yearly tribute and formally recognize the Assyrian gods. So he becomes underneath their government, underneath their religion, which was the point that the, the Assyrians, they just wanted to become world-dominating, the then-known world. And so that's what's beginning to happen here. So he becomes indebted to them and has to pay them every year in a way that bankrupts his country. So when Hezekiah, who is Ahaz's son, becomes king, he rejects this vassalage, this... Um, this dominance by Assyria. It says in 2 Kings 18, 7, that he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. And the response is that the Assyrian king, Zennacherib, he didn't tolerate the rebellion and he marches to Judah to punish Hezekiah. So he begins by attacking and capturing all the fortified cities of Judah and then setting his sights on Jerusalem. So the king of Assyria, he means business. Anybody who is supposed to be paying him tribute, he expects tribute. And it wasn't just like he was like, well, never mind. This is a little nobody country. We don't even care. Nope. As soon as they do not pay it, he knows we're going to have to make them pay it. If not, everybody else is going to do this. So in order to keep his dominance, he marches on King Hezekiah, beginning at the edge of his country, moving on to Jerusalem. And so... Hezekiah realizes that Jerusalem is going to be the next target for Zennacherib. And Hezekiah, he's trying to avoid this siege by telling Zennacherib that he would pay, he'd begin to pay him again. He weakens a little. He's like, I'll pay you again. We'll go back into paying our debts and, and being a, a vassal country to you. And what happens is that Zennacherib demands an enormous sum, a huge sum, and even after the fact, he does not withdraw and plan on punishing through war Hezekiah and the kingdom of Judah. And so Hezekiah, even though he's raised by this very evil father, you kind of look at his story, you look a little bit at his lineage, who his mother was. In that you see, or I guess you have to assume, that there is some teaching to him about the Lord and what pleases the Lord. Because Hezekiah, we see, was a man who trusted in God. And he has such trust in the Lord that the Bible tells us that he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him, listen, this is amazing, was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. So his faith in God put him as the number one king of all time over this kingdom the Bible says. So Hezekiah, he surpasses all others in trusting in the Lord. And his deep trust in God 
did not mean that he just thought he could sit down and God would do all the work. Hezekiah, he goes about doing what he could do as king while trusting that God would do what Hezekiah could not do. And that was the key. He did as much as he could, and anything that he couldn't take care of, he trusted that God was going to take care of it. So first he tries to pay the Assyrians to leave, and when that fails, he sets about to undermine their ability to wage war against him. So Hezekiah's response as king was to fortify Jerusalem. And I think this is, the author of this lesson uses this word fortify a lot. And I think it's very interesting because I think it's a very, uh, a term that can be applied so well spiritually to us. So fortify means this, to make strong, such as to strengthen and secure a place like a town, to put up high walls. It means to give physical strength, courage, or endurance by a, here's one, by a hearty meal. You're fortifying. It's kind of like, um, is it runners that eat a lot of pasta before they run? Is that right? Okay, yeah. They're fortifying. They're getting ready. They need energy. So it also could mean to add mental or moral strength to encourage to pray for. That could be to fortify. And this is just from Webster's Dictionary, by the way. It means to strengthen or enhance by the addition of some substance or ingredient, such as an enriched food, by adding ingredients like vitamins and minerals to improve nutritional value. So for us in our country, a lot of our food has been fortified with vitamins. You can read it like cereals, always like fortified. I don't know that it, there's anything else good in it, but they have fortified it with vitamins <laughs> and sugar, <laughs> lots of sugar. But to be fortified, it's to add to, to strengthen. Um, and I think it's just very for us, and we'll apply a lot of this personally to our spiritual lives, but what does it mean to fortify as a Christian? What are we doing and we fortify ourselves? Well, here's an example. So a lot of times it feels like when we're going through a battle, that's when we all of a sudden turn to the Lord and our prayer life, you know, changes and we're looking for answers in the word and we're calling our brothers and sisters. To fortify means that you are preparing and strengthening yourself before there's an issue. And so we need to make sure that we are fortifying ourselves before. And we do that through the word. We do that through fellowship with the body. We do that through prayer. We do that through worship. Through listening to the preached word, we are fortifying, not just listening, but, but internalizing it, digesting the word of God. Now, digesting the word of God looks a lot different than just reading the word of God. Because a lot of us... I'm going to tell you a secret. Many of you know this secret about me. I've never read the Bible through in one year, and I probably never will. Um, I've read the Bible through. It just took me like four years um, because I decided I wanted to fortify it, not just get through it. And there's nothing wrong with that. If, if you're you know, on that, that's a good journey. I just know with my mind and the way my mind works, it doesn't work very well with me. If I try to get through it fast, I'm not getting anything out of it. So instead, I read in a way that I, my goal when I read is to eat from the word of God. So 
I want to be fed by what I'm reading. And you know what I find really interesting? There's always something, no matter where you're reading, that can feed you in the Word of God. And so that is fortifying. So back to Hezekiah, he cuts off the water supplies to the outside of the city to deny the Assyrians an easy source of water. So they were gonna, what the Assyrians were going to do is they were going to lay siege on the city. So that means they were going to make it so that no one could come out and no one could go in. As in no supplies, no nothing. And so you may remember the story in Kings where they were under siege and there was a great famine and they, um, they boiled their babies and ate them. So that's how desperate things would get during a siege. And so that's what the Assyrians' goal was. That was their style of warfare is they would siege the city until they had no choice but to just give in. Um, and so Hezekiah, in their water system, he was able to cut off water to the Assyrians. So he went about fortifying the city. He strengthened the walls. He would do everything he needed to do but still trust in God for success. In short, Hezekiah prepares for battle, but also seeks and depends on the Lord, right? He builds towers on the walls. He thinks about strategic things that they could do in this battle. And so here's a question. Would you fault Hezekiah for trying to pay off Sennacherib and characterize his actions as a lack of faith? Or would it be more accurate to characterize it as wisdom and even love for his own people? Because some of us would say, well, why would he even pay him in the beginning? To you know, what, what would even be the point of that? Well, you think about it in the sense of Hezekiah is king over these people. He loves these people. And there's, he's not just thinking about himself, even though for him this would be a very personal battle. If they were captured, he would be taken captive. He would be tortured. But in trying to save his people, he was looking for every avenue to stop the battle. And so Hezekiah encourages the people of Judah. After he physically strengthened the city walls, he began to strengthen the spirit of the people. He began to encourage them. He didn't focus just on their abilities. He didn't say, we've got the best horses. We've got the best soldiers. We're going to be fine. He didn't focus on their, their bravery. He did not even focus on what he had done to fortify the city. So he didn't go around saying, well, we've built these walls. We're going to be fine. You know, we've, we've cut off their water. We're going to be fine. No, he encouraged them by telling them that they couldn't depend on anything natural, but they would need to focus on God and the help he would give them during this time, that he would deliver them. So Hezekiah cries out to the people in 2 Chronicles 32, 7, be strong and courageous. Be not afraid or dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. So he's, every day they're getting up and there is thousands of soldiers right outside their wall. They're stronger. They've already won a lot of battles. They've been victorious. They're probably very confident in the way that they walk around. They're probably yelling things over the walls. And if you're just looking around as a part of this inside of the city, this is intimidating. And Hezekiah, they were outnumbered. 
I mean, it's very clear that they were, the people inside the walls were outnumbered. It was very clear to them. But Hezekiah ends his encouragement by saying, don't be afraid of the multitude that is with this army. And he says, for there be more with us than with them. And so we might be thinking that Hezekiah is stressing that we have more or we're able to do this. No, what he's stressing is that the more was about who was with them. Because he goes on to say, with them is an army of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. One thing that I find really interesting about Hezekiah and his, just his confidence in God and it's, he was, here's this king, and he could have just said, this is the way we're going to do it. I'm in charge here, and this is what I've decided to do. We're going to fortify the cities, and then we're going to wait. And I don't care what anybody else says. But instead, he's encouraging them. He's giving them reasons why. Now, you have to think about the fact that for, and I, for, I want to say it was like 30 years, 30 to 35 years, Ahaz the king before him had promoted and lived in idol worship, putting no trust in God. And so you have a whole generation that Hezekiah is leading that has lived in idol worship and, not put, and put their trust in their own wealth. And so for Hezekiah, this is not an easy thing. This, this battle going on inside the walls is not an easy battle. Because he's having to change habits and beliefs and um, confidence, where confidence is put in money and confidence is put in false gods. He's having to shift all of that, and yet he does it. He just confidently stands up and says, God is going to fight our battles. There was people so confused in that wall that they were thinking, which God is he talking about? That's how confused this people was. But Hezekiah is the leader standing up, declaring this. And it wasn't about what their response would be. It was about him sharing his confidence with them. We need to make it a, a point as the body of Christ that when we're speaking with our brothers and sisters about their struggles, about things that we're going to, that we're not trying to fix things ourselves. Because it's we want to, don't we? There's this really funny video that I like to show to newly married or about to get married couples. And it's this couple talking and you can only see the back of them at first. And she's, she's telling him, she's like, I just don't understand. My head hurts all the time, all the time. It's like this nagging pain in my head and I just don't know what to do. It's just, I don't know why it's happening, but there is a pain in my head and she's just stressing it. And he says, well, you have, she said, I don't need you to fix it. And you, the camera pans around to the front, and she has a nail in her head. <laughs> and she keeps telling him, he, he wants to take the nail out. He's not sure why she won't let him take the nail out. But she's like, I just need you to listen. Sometimes we are trying to fix things when what people need is our encouragement or us to listen. And sometimes we're trying to fix them in our own way. Right? When the truth is that God's way is probably better than even our way. 
We need to be an encouragement. We need to say this, you know what? God's going to help you with this problem. God is on your side. I always feel so convicted when I'm around somebody who is constantly talking about the Lord because I know that I do not personally do that enough. I don't do that enough. In my conversation, I want to be thankful to the Lord in, in all things, just constantly taking everything back to the Lord. That, and that's just a battle for me, partially because it's just not the way people talk in the world. And sometimes you can get this almost like embarrassment. Like I'm talking to my neighbor and I'm going to be like, well, God's been good to me. Like they're going to be like, what in the world is she talking about? But I want to be that kind of Christian that really believes the scripture in James that tells me every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Everything I have comes from the Lord. And I want to verbally make sure that people understand that I know that. And that's an encouragement to people. When they see us putting our trust in the Lord and our faith in the Lord, and they see us on the other side of battles, and we're able to say, well, the only way I made it through that was because of the Lord, that is an encouragement. So we need to make sure that we are doing that like Hezekiah. We're just speaking out very clearly our trust in the Lord. And so what happens with Hezekiah begins to speak these things, well, the people are encouraged. They begin to get courageous. They're stirred up that God is actually going to do something because they see that Hezekiah is actually believing what he's saying. The end of 2 Chronicles 32 verse 8 says, and the people rested, this is awesome, rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. They took confidence in his words, and they rested in them. They may have been surrounded, but they put their confidence in the help from God that Hezekiah had proclaimed. They didn't have the faith to proclaim the words themselves, but they rested in his proclamation. So Hezekiah has this kind of faith, this, this example of faith. I'm going to read something to you, Matthew 13, 31 through 32. It says that Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. Okay. So we know, you know, you've heard mustard seed faith. You know, you just need a little and can grow into a lot. Um, and there's a lot of theories about what he meant there. But I want to read the last statement that there's a comma. It says, and becomes a tree, comma, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. This was the kind of faith that Hezekiah had. Because what happened is his faith extended so far that it became a place of rest for his people. And the Bible tells us that we, in our growing of faith, have the ability to do the same thing, that our faith can grow to a place that others can come and take refuge in it. Birds come and perch in its branches. That's pretty amazing. That's not about what I have. That's not about how big my house is. That's not about, you know, if I have a car big enough to bring people to church or to take people out to eat, that's about faith. That's all that's about, that people come and rest in, in the faith that I have, right? 
So Hezekiah assures the people that God's going to be a refuge for them and would fight their battles. And we see this theme of God fighting our battles throughout the Old Testament. Here's an example. When the Israelites faced the Red Sea and they saw the Egyptians coming for them, they cried out to the Lord. And Moses tells them in this very famous scripture, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Exodus 14, 13 through 14. At another time, when the Ammonites and the Moabites came to make war against King Jehoshaphat, the people of Judah, and the people of Judah, the king cries out to God, and he says, we're too weak to stand against this mighty army. And a Levite named Jehaziel prophesied and encouraged them to stand strong and said in 2 Chronicles 20:15, thus saith the Lord to you, be not afraid or dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Why was it God's battle? Because these were a people of promise. God had a plan for this people. He had promise for these people. And so his intention was that his plan and his promise would come to pass. Now, we talked about David a couple of weeks ago. One of the things about David, that it's very hard to understand how when he could have taken Saul's life, he didn't. Right? Just end it, David. Just go for it. You're going to be king anyway. You've already been anointed king anyway. But that's the key right there is that David was a man of promise. And so because God had already promised him a future, he understood he didn't have to fight that battle. That God would fight that battle. We are a people of promise. We know the end. You know, what's the greatest fear? What's the greatest thing that people face or the greatest, you know, tragedy? A lot of times for a lot of people, it's that fear of, I mean, if I die, what's on the other, what's, you know, what happens if I die, whether it's my children or, you know, th this, this fear of death or this fear of not knowing what's going to happen. But we do as Christians have a promised future with the Lord. And I think we do not lean enough on that promise of eternity with the Lord. Because it's not like maybe tangible to us here. But we have promises from the Lord. And God will fulfill the promises that he's given us. Now you might think, well, you, some of you might have immediately thought, well, I know God has spoken to me this promise for me personally. But some of you may have thought, well, I don't know of anything that God has spoken to me personally. But here's the thing. The Bible is filled with promise for the people of God. That's us. We're here. We're God's people. The Bible is filled with promises for us through Scripture that we can apply in our life. So I challenge you. Here's another Bible challenge. Look in your Bible for promises that belong to you and write them down. Psalm 27, I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I love that one. I'm going to see good things here while I'm alive. I didn't write a bunch of them down. I'm sorry. But you do it. <laughs> you write them down. You find them. If you are stumped, ask Brother Google. He will give you a list of promises in the Bible. Shocking, I know, but they're there. Um, 
So God's going to help us fight our battles. He is an ever-present help in trouble. He is always there. He's always there. This psalmist expresses this encouraging truth in, 40, in Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge. He is our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And it's, in, it's important for us to realize that this verse tells us there will be time of trouble. Right? We will have trouble. God is not promising to keep us from trouble, but to be with us in trouble. The trouble that may come our way, even as we live righteously, we've got to seek God with all our hearts through that, like Hezekiah did. So the psalmist, in back, still in Psalm 46, which has kind of been our key psalm, through this series, assures the readers that God is always right in the middle of his people. He describes that God as God being in the midst of the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the most high God. And because God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. So why will she not be moved? God will help her and that right early and what the translation of that in the, in the New King James Version is, just at the break of dawn. God will be our help. When it feels like we are to the end of this, where you at? Where you at, Lord? So in light of his promises to fight for his people, God said through the psalmist, still in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. It's kind of like we get to the end of this and it's like, okay, it's just the break of dawn. You've been fighting with all your might and all this trouble and all of a sudden it's like, shh, 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 stop. Just be still and know that I am God. We got to be ready for the trouble and the battles that will come. We talked about that. Hezekiah did what he could, but having done his best to prepare, he stopped his work and looked to the Lord who was in the middle of that holy city for the actual victory. Though Hezekiah did have this solid foundation of faith and was acting on it, the Assyrians' threats were so cruel, terrifying, and blasphemous that Hezekiah's faith didn't, it, it wavered some, just for a moment. If you go through and read this story, um, You'll see the cruelty of the people if you just do a little study even of the Assyrians, what they were up against and, and the way that they would take the women and the children um, from the places that they would siege and the cruelty of them, um, even, again, towards the kings were so heavy, so deep, so much torture that to be taken by this particular world power, the Assyrians, it was a terrifying thing. And they didn't, it wasn't just hearsay. The Assyrians would make sure that whatever country they were going into to siege knew what the punishment would be if they lost. One of the tactics that the Assyrians took here was that they made sure that in any of their yelling, in any of their talks with Hezekiah or his people in charge, they were speaking in a language that the Israelites n knew. The people of Judah knew their intentions very clearly because they made sure that they knew them. So the threats that were given and the things that were coming against them, they were very real. And Hezekiah has this moment of wavering 
And what does he do in his moment of wavering? He sends some of his officials dressed in sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah. Well, I feel like that's a really good answer. I mean, that's a really good thing. You might be struggling. Okay, Hezekiah, we'll give it to you. This is a struggle. I can't blame you. This is tough. But what does he do? He doesn't try to gather up more riches or more things that he can send to them, maybe thinking they'll go away. Instead, he sends word to the prophet asking for a word from the Lord. So he goes to prophet Isaiah, and through his men that he sends, Hezekiah expresses concern because he knows they're not strength, strong enough, and he knows that they're not military. Their military is nothing compared to what they're up against. And they tell the prophet, therefore pray for the remnant that still survives. And in response, God gives a word to Isaiah for Hezekiah. And he says this in 2 Kings 19, 6 and 7. Thus saith the Lord, be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. So God is taking it personally. These people have blasphemed me, God says. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. God is still telling him, be still and know that I am God. He's saying, you don't have to depend on yourself. I've got this. And God is true to his word. He sends an angel to cut off all the mighty men of valor of, king, of the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria comes into the house of his God and he is killed by someone closest to him. So everything is in uproar because they're going to be turned over to a new king. It's going to be, so they're all sent back home. So there's no more army. Woohoo! Battles won. Now, our lesson does not get into it. Well, and we'll talk about it in a minute. Let, let, we'll, we'll go there in just a minute. But I want us for a minute just to watch a video. Do we have that, Brother Alexander? Let's, let's play that video uh, to pertain a little bit to our lesson here. One of the most unique attributes of God that we find in the Word is right there in Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Our God is a God of movement. In fact, one thing that I really believe is God is not a monument, God is a movement. We see him working and moving throughout scripture on a continual basis. Of course, when we get to the day of Pentecost, we see the sound of a mighty rushing wind. There is movement throughout the Bible. God is always a God of movement. We are told to run this race with patience. We are told to, to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So as there's, there's this constant characteristic, if you will, that you and I, as the people of God, should be constantly moving forward. Paul even said, I forget those things that are behind me and I press forward, I look towards something. Yet there are times in our life that we are to be still and we are to know that he is God. What is it about God that makes us recognize our, oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Our uncertainty of our abilities, I guess you could say. There are times that I can't force things. I have to just stop and let the God, the God of movement, the God of power, the God of 
continually working together for our good, step in and do what he does best. It's those moments of trials, those moments where we think we can push our way through that God reminds us as he did Moses, just, just stand still. I'm working, I'm moving, I'm, I'm gonna take care of this. And so as you face the various things in your life, know this, you are a person that is to move forward. You are a person that is constantly in motion. But there are times you have to let God do the work because he promised us that he is for us, not against us. And he's got a pattern, he's got a purpose, and he's taking you down a path. So in those times, when you don't know where to turn, stop, slow down, wait for the God that is in motion. So we see that this was kind of, for Hezekiah, he had no choice but to follow that waiting and that being still. Have you ever been in a place where you just had no other options? <laughs> and the only answer was to wait, to be still. Um, now I'm going to be honest with you about the life of Hezekiah. Is There was a lot of ups and downs. And when you read the full story, reading the scripture where we see that there was no greater, there was no faith with, there was no king with greater faith. We read that scripture earlier, before or after. And yet we see in Hezekiah's life a constant struggle, a constant battle back and forth between his power, his willpower and God's power. Um, for Hezekiah, it even gets to the point where he's dying. And he begs God for more years, and the Lord gives him 15 more years. Um, so his life is one of great uh, lessons for us to learn about trusting in the Lord. And to learn that when you don't trust in the Lord you can always go back to trusting in the Lord. Because Hezekiah is not cut off for that, um, for, for his lack of faith. But he is allowed to, to return to the Lord, to trust in the Lord again. Um, so I, I do encourage you, go and read the story of Hezekiah. Um, read some of the details. Find, even, find a timeline online of his life because it is so interesting to see the things that he goes through and the struggles that he deals with and to read it in light of that scripture that says he had such great faith. He had put his trust so greatly in God. It encourages me as someone who is uh, wearing flesh like all of us today, I'm just human, to see that God cared so much about the fact that he had, that Hezekiah had this kind of faith. And we, we know that we all face troubles, we all face enemies in this life, both human and demonic. And we can be glad we're not fighting alone. There's always going to be more that are for us than for those who are against us because God is in the middle of us fighting our battles. Or maybe I should say we should put ourselves in the middle of God and let him fight our battles. We need to be continually asking ourselves in struggles and even when we're not in struggles, am I fortifying myself? Am I trusting in the Lord? Am I doing all that I can but then 
depending on the Lord when there's nothing more that I can do. Have I done all that I can, and now that I've done all I can, am I just going to allow God to do what he can do? So we definitely, without a doubt, have the Lord on our side, and we also have one another. And I think that's extremely important for us to recognize that we have the body of Christ as encouragement and as those who can share with us and encourage like Hezekiah did. So let's go ahead and finish today. And we're done with this series about God being our refuge and strength. And I have truly enjoyed it. But I encourage you, read the story of Hezekiah. Find the story of Hezekiah and read through it. even before and after him, just read what he was up against and what he was sandwiched between in the history of Judah. And I think it will really um, kind of enrich your view of the Bible and, and the Old Testament.